Welcome to the No Fear Podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, with your No Fear Word of the Day. Welcome to the No Fear Podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church, and we want to thank you for joining us for our No Fear Word of the Day. In 1776, something happened on this planet that had never happened before. The first enduring and self-sustaining democracy was born. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill once said that Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Even for its many problems, democracy is still the best form of government. Democracy's greatest liability, however, is that it is fragile. On the last day of the Constitutional Convention, in Philadelphia, on September 17, 1787, a woman of Philadelphia accosted Benjamin Franklin as he was leaving the convention with a question. The woman said, Well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? Franklin, who was rarely short of words or wit, shot back, A republic, madam, if you can keep it. What exactly did Franklin mean by that? A republic, madam, if you can keep it. This story comes from a great book by Eric Metaxas titled, If You Can Keep It, The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty. Metaxas is, in my humble opinion, one of the most astute American political philosophers of our time. In this book, he has some important thoughts about what it's going to take to keep the American Republic alive and viable. First, among those thoughts is that thought that America is a country based on an idea. Metaxas writes, In 1776, a nation was formed in a way that a nation never had been formed before. It was something entirely new, the nation as idea. For the first time, a nation was created that was not merely a group of ethnically or tribally similar people, nor was it a nation composed of disparate groups held together by a strong leader. The country born in 1776 was a nation held together by an idea and by citizens who bought into that idea. This singular idea that held America and Americans together, and the idea in which they believed, was, in a word, liberty, writes Metaxas. Liberty, as Metaxas defines it, and as the founders enshrined it, is not the idea that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, without judgment or accountability. Rather, it is the idea that the people can and may govern themselves. Liberty, in Metaxas's words, is self-government. What does it take to make this idea of liberty, the idea of self-government, work? What is it going to take to keep it? What is it going to take to keep our American Republic alive? What is it going to take to keep America, America? In his book, Metaxas says that there are three principles necessary for liberty to survive. 
He refers to them as the Golden Triangle of Freedom, a concept first developed by Oz Guinness. He says, The Golden Triangle of Freedom is that freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom. The three go round and round, supporting one another ad infinitum. If any one of the three legs of the triangle is removed, the whole structure ceases to exist. Again, freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom. That's the golden triangle. And here's what's so important about this. The golden triangle is not just a good idea. It is a gift from God. The Apostle Peter could not have conceived of a government chosen by the people for the people. His was a world of tribes and monarchs. In Peter's first letter, what we call the letter of 1 Peter, written to the early Christians, he was clearly resigned to the political order of his age. He wrote, quote, Fear God, honor the emperor, close quote. Peter would have been amazed that Christians could one day actually take part in selecting our own political leaders. And yet, long before that was ever a possibility, 1,700 years before the founding of the United States, the Apostle Peter set forth the principles that would be necessary for liberty, for self-government, to thrive. First, virtue. Peter says, be moral, be virtuous. He wrote, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Benjamin Franklin wrote that only a virtuous people, he declares, are capable of freedom. John Adams wrote that the only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. Lots of people will say, pursue your bliss or do what makes you feel good. But virtue, morality, is doing the right thing, the good thing, even when it's hard, even when it's unpleasant. Virtues like honesty, compassion, hard work, modesty, chastity, loyalty, prudence, patience, and of course, devotion to God, these are virtues. They sound so old-fashioned to our pop culture ears, but Peter, Franklin, and Adams knew that if we want liberty, behavior matters. Morality matters. The biggest problems of our world are not ultimately economic or political or social or military. At the root, they are spiritual problems. And with all due respect to our president, and to the Congress, and to political parties, and the media, the world's biggest problems, and 90% of our day-to-day -day crises are not going to be solved by policies, but by personal decisions that we make. Think about it. This upcoming presidential election is not going to fix a single broken family. Washington, D.C. is not going to make you and your brother forgive each other. It's not going to make you less racist or resentful, and it's not going to make people less lazy or more industrious. 
It's not going to make you more attentive to your marriage or more patient with your children. This election is not going to make someone less selfish or make people more compassionate with their neighbors or more honest with your boss or more ethical in your business. And you know what? The media is not going to stop pushing immorality or stop selling pornography until people stop buying it. Neither economics nor politics can control or prevent greed or exploitation. That's all on us. The truth is that the government is powerless to solve these moral issues. And if it tries, it often only makes the problem worse. Problems are to be solved. It must be the people and the culture that solves them. We don't need a change in laws nearly as much as we need a change in heart. John Adams wrote that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. No Constitution is strong enough to maintain liberty if people are sold out to sin and self-indulgence. Thus, Paul wrote, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, my Aunt Effie Lo Burtz used to say that it takes a strong fish to swim upstream. To keep this republic we live in, we need people who are strong enough to swim upstream against the current of our culture. Next, Peter says, be a good citizen. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Right now, in our culture, it is very popular to celebrate nonconformity. We love the outlaws, the mavericks, the people who do everything my way. Nothing seems more nerdy or boring than good citizenship. But what Peter is saying is that if this thing is going to work, we have to make it work by working together. You can't be an outlaw. You can't be a loner. It can't be all about you. You have to be a team player. If this republic is going to work, we have to remember that we are not just a nation of laws. We are bound by a covenant called the Constitution. That covenant says, this is how we're going to live together. This is how we are going to limit ourselves, and these are the rights that we are going to protect. As constitutionalists, we have agreed to play by a certain set of rules. What that means is that good citizenship is an exercise in self-control. The good citizen says, I will freely agree to uphold the rules to which we all agree. Whereas the outlaw says, I am a law unto myself. I don't have to pay attention to anyone else. I don't have to care about anyone else. The truth is, we have to remember that true freedom has limits. And we have to remember that because we live with other people. 
An old friend of mine, O.L. Ligon, used to tell a story about these two fellows walking down the street. And one was talking very expressively, just waving his arms, gesturing wildly as he talked. At one point, he got so animated that he backhanded the other fella in the nose. The guy hit him back and said, Hey, why don't you watch out? The first person said, Well, I'm sorry, but the Constitution guarantees my right to free speech. The second fella said, Well, your rights end where my nose begins. I think Peter would put it this way. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. True freedom can only exist when rights are coupled with self-control. It is our responsibility to remember that we are not alone, that we're not the only ones in the room, but we are joined in community with others. Therefore, Peter wrote, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The founders understood that the more each person governed himself, the less there would be a need for strong government. Do we have any self-control? Are we governing ourselves, in our homes, in our commerce, in our communities? Or are we abusing the freedom we have and thereby endangering it? Finally, the foundation of both virtue and good citizenship is faith. John Adams understood that the secret to self-government is that the people must themselves be self-governing which is to say that they must be motivated by something beyond the law. The French philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville wrote this, There is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. He said that the American Republic works because the virtue of the American people and their self-control comes from their voluntary, which is to say, free obedience to God, rather than from a forced obedience to any man or government of men. He understood that the law could not force people to do what was right. Rather, Tocqueville writes, While the law permits the Americans to do what they please, religion prevents them from conceiving and forbids them to commit what is rash or unjust. Even though the United States was not built as a Christian theocratic nation, it was built upon a Christian foundation. Our founders counted on faith, and the Christian faith at that, to hold the republic together. In his day, Peter wrote to the early Christians, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter was telling them, even if you have no power, even if you are persecuted, even if you are subject to mockery and derision, don't forget who you are and don't forget whose you are. And I would add that even if you are rich, even if you are popular, even if you are powerful and well-connected, don't forget who you are. You belong to God, and God has placed you here to give Him glory, and so that through you, 
people will see him. In commenting about the Brexit, that is to say Great Britain's secession from the European Union, Christian Post columnist Wallace Henley made an interesting observation. His observation is that the EU, or European Union, is falling because the founders of the European Union tried to build a system on secularism and economic interests. He writes that the framers of the EU's constitution intentionally left out reference to God and Europe's Christian roots because they said such inclusions might be divisive. A leader of Britain's National Secular Society said, We are very glad a reference to God has been left out. It would have created unnecessary barriers in Europe. Europe has to be secular for it to be really unified. In light of the disjointedness of European society, one can only say, well, really? How's that working for you? Secularism and economic interests are just not enough to hold such disparate nationalities together. The one thing that goes deeper than border or language or ethnic group is Europe's Christian foundations. And yet Christianity is the one commonality that modern secularists were zealous to avoid. Democracy, that is to say freedom, cannot breathe and does not work in an amoral environment, that is to say where there is no morality. America was not founded in a moral vacuum. Likewise, it cannot breathe in an environment polluted and choked by relativism and pluralism, where anything goes and everybody does what is right in his own eyes. So where does your morality come from? From Facebook or television or music or family tradition or politics? The air American democracy needs to breathe is the clean air of God, of God's Word. Liberty exhales and inhales the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For too long, we have tried to be free without being moral and tried to have all of it without faith. Dr. Martin Luther King once wrote, America, it seems to me that your moral progress lags behind your scientific progress. You have allowed the material means by which you live to outdistance the spiritual ends for which you live. You have allowed your mentality to outrun your morality. You have allowed your civilization to outdistance your culture. Through your scientific genius, you have made of the world a neighborhood, but through your lack of moral and spiritual genius, you have failed to make of it a brotherhood. When we abandon faith, we abandon virtue. And when we abandon virtue, we abandon self-government, responsibility. And when we give up responsibility, we give up liberty. So what must we do to keep America, to keep our republic? We must be virtuous. We must be good, self-governing citizens. We must be God's people. Psalm 143.10 says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. May God bless our republic. Thank you for being with us again for this No Fear podcast. 
Please join us for this and our other daily podcasts throughout the COVID-19 crisis at fpcsanantonio.org. Until next time, I'm Bob Fuller of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas. Be not afraid. God is real. Jesus is alive and the Holy Spirit is with us. God loves you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. He has a position for you on his team and a place for you at his table.